Go check out one of the hottest clothing brands out right now. That's called Clot. This street brand is fire. Man, they got all the jeans, t-shirts, accessories, and even some sneakers. So go check it out right now. That's K-C-L-O-T dot com. And use promo code Brandon Jordan Comedy to get your discount. What up, though? Welcome to a new episode of Don't Blame Me, Blame Detroit with your boy Brandon Jordan. And uh, man, we here with a new episode and I got a special guest here today. Um, this guy, if you ever take him to say this, typically on my podcast, everybody knows I do a very conversational style where we just sit, have a conversation and whatever the conversation goes, that's where we go. But this is the episode, I got lots of questions. <laughs> All right. Because um, as I'm getting older and being in this business a lot more, people tend to not, you know, get their flowers when they're supposed to. You know, usually, you know, a lot of times we wait till they're gone or wait till they, they have to do these super high achievements to, to get acknowledged. But this dude... <laughs> He needs some acknowledging out here because he um, is making a mark for himself, you know, saying at a young age, and I'm glad that it's a black man that's doing it. So I want to welcome to the podcast one of the hot new dudes in this L.A. Hollywood scene, Brandon Edwards. Welcome to the podcast, my brother. Man, I am going to do everything I can to live up to those words. <laughs> I'm like, didn't he talk about me? All right, cool, 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 cool. That's what's up. Yeah, 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 me. That's me. I got this. Be out here. I'm like, let's see what these questions are. I'm like, oh, man, yo, it's way simpler than you think. But I'm here. To, let's do it, man. I'm really honored to be here, man. I appreciate it. And I also appreciate, you know, the 313 area code. I'm not from Detroit, but I am from, mm-hmm. since you know Michigan, obviously. Yeah. I am, I'm from Grand Blank. You know where that is? Oh, okay. Yeah, so I Mm-hmm. I've been through there once. It's once. You blink and you miss it. You right. know what I'm saying? It's a small, it's a suburb of Flint, but I grew yeah. up like my, my family's from Flint and I just happened to make it out to the suburbs. And uh, yeah, it was a good time. Yeah, man. Uh, first off, I, I got to start off. How does it feel to be a new father? Ah, it's funny. That's actually, uh, so, you know, as you weren't going to say, I'm going to say it is I was a little bit difficult today with the timing for you. And uh-huh. the reason was is because I'm a new father. Yeah. Um, is that, bro, kids are a lot. If you are not ready for a kid, do not have it. But the feeling of having a kid, like this weekend was the first time, because my son, he's six months old, right? Yeah. This, is the, this weekend was the first time that he actually, like when I held him, he held me back. Wow. When I tell you my heart melted, you know what I'm saying? It's my first kid, you know? Yeah. I pick him up. I'm like, hey, man, let's go. And then I just felt his arm wrap around mine and grab mm-hmm. my shoulder. And then his other hand just grabbed my shirt and just held it. And I'm just like, oh, you're you're, you're holding you. You want to be here. You're holding me. Right. <laughs> like, oh, it's like a slow tear. I'm like, OK, all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm not crying. You're crying. You're the baby. You know, That's dope, man. it's a it's a different experience, man. It's a different type of love. Um, And it's like right now, it feels like the lights are starting to come on for him. So it's it's incredible to see. It's absolutely incredible. Oh, that's dope. Yeah, I don't have I don't have kids of my own yet, mm-hmm. but I have um, six god kids that I re- I really think is my own. <laughs> like, and you would think they my own because of how much uh, they hit me up to buy them stuff. 
They, right. they, I mean, that's that's what what else you what else you right. Do, bro, right? Like this is what you're supposed to do. Actually, it's funny because I'm getting ready to go visit uh back to Detroit soon, right. and one of my guy kids is his birthday. Mm-hmm. So how, how old are you guy kid? How old are they? So in order from youngest to oldest, so the youngest is about to be two. Her birthday is at the end of the month. Then the next one is about to be three next year. She's about she just turned two. She's about to be three. Okay. Um, then after that, you have six, 10, 11, and 17. Bro, you've been doing this for a while, man. You, your age defies you. I'll say that. Like, right. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, and the thing is, I appreciate that you know that all those ages, that's five, right? Yeah. No, six. That was the two babies. Two, three, six, eight. Okay, no, I'm not going to try. Like, yeah, it was that. two. I got two, three. Six, 10, 11, 17. Yeah, that's six. Yeah, six. Wow. That's bro. You can, I'm happy there are people like you out here. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's like it takes a village, man. I'm happy that you can be a part of it. Yeah, like I was telling when I was on the uh recording earlier, I was telling them that um, three of them are in Detroit. That's the six, 10, and 11. They're all mm-hmm. their brothers and sisters. And so about a year ago, my best friend, who is their father, he hit me up like, hey, man, I want to put you um, down on the insurance policy in case something happened. You know, you're going to be, you're, the kids will come live with you and, yeah. you and you will have the insurance claim. Yeah. I broke down in tears. Bro, that's a, that's a huge thing. And it's funny you say that. because I was, Well, and this is unsolicited advice uh, from one person in the entertainment industry to another is that one of the things that I just did that's a game changer is that I actually just uh, finished my uh, trust, okay. um, putting my trust together. Most people don't realize what a trust is. Like, oh, trust fund babies and all that kind of stuff. But I just finished putting mine together. Um, and it's a big deal, man. It's like it makes it so the state doesn't govern what happens with your stuff. Yep. If your affairs come over, it's more powerful than a will. A will is inside of a trust. That is part of a trust. Like mm-hmm. the will, like the trust is like, yo, I put all my bank accounts are in the name of my trust now that it's a living trust. So it's like, for me, it's like, I still manage it. It's still me. It's still based on my social security number, but it's my trust. Yeah, because I think I just I just heard something about a situation, I think it was Chadwick Bozeman with, yes. his, with his will, where the the state or the government got more money than his, fam- than his family got. That's because he didn't have a trust. situation. brother didn't have a trust. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like he just had a will. Most people, you have a will. It's like, no, the will is governed by the state. You know what I'm saying? How it gets distributed governed by the state. But if you have a trust, your 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 assets are governed by the trust. You know what I'm saying? And uh-huh. you can write out exactly what you want to happen. You can write out who you want to get, what percentage of whatever you have, how much, when they get it, how they get it, who manages the trust. You know what I'm saying? Like you can decide, you can decide everything for what happens when you die. Like I've got a life insurance policy too. It's like it's assigned to the trust. You know what I'm saying? So like just like that's unsolicited, but I'm telling you right now, that is possibly the best advice that can be given to any brother in the industry or in any, any industry that has accumulated any form of wealth of any form. Like, even if you're like, I got $10,000 to my name, if I sell all my shit, then it's worth having a trust. Um, because yeah. you die right now and that's all you had, you didn't have a trust. Like the government's going to take a big percentage of that just to manage it for you. They can take that $45 in that in that account. <laughs> <laughs> hey, bro, I got three joints. You know, I got three blunts, $45. They can have it. I actually just told somebody today, it was so this morning. I told them, I said, when I uh when I get to the point where I know that I'm about to get ready to die, 
when I'm on my last last breaths, I said, all I want is Kool-Aid. Just give me Kool-Aid. That's all I want. Kool-Aid is my favorite drink. And I said, it's so bad for me that if I'm about to go, I'm about to go. So just give me, I just, just feed me Kool-Aid for my last days. <laughs> I honestly don't know if you could have said anything blacker. Like, <laughs> I really don't. Like, the thing is like, I just like, no, just put it in my veins. Just cool. Like what color? Purple. Like, no, I didn't ask you the flavor. Like just what color? <laughs> so I want to, um, I just, I want to start kind of like from the beginning. Like what, what got you wanting to get into the entertainment business? I'm going to do my best to summarize this story. All right. Um, all right. So from Michigan, grew up, went to the same high school, Grand Blank, all the way through, went to college at Oakland University, graduated with a degree in political science huh? um, and didn't care about school at all. I just did it so nobody could tell me what I could be doing after I graduated. Then mm -hmm. I ended up working at, graduated the worst time possible, 2009. That's when the, you know, the economic down, downturn. Right. Um, and then I had a job from when I was uh, in school at Walgreens, did that for a few years, hated it. Started working in nonprofit, like working with kids and mentoring was great. My grant that I got hired on after a year ended. I was like, what am I going to do? Um, moved out to L.A. by myself with no money. Didn't know anybody. But I didn't come out here for the entertainment industry, to be honest. Okay. Um, I came out here to see what I was made of. And I, I always felt like I was a people person. And I'm just I was very I've always been really good with people. So I was like, the more people there are, the more chances I'm going to be to have to be successful. And I want to see what I'm made of. I want to see if I'm right. It was like a theory thing. Like, I have a theory that I'm actually not an idiot. You know what I'm saying? I was like, I think I'm, I might be worthwhile. I might be somebody if I really take a risk. Because for me, if I if I would have stayed in Michigan, I knew my trajectory in my life. I was like, I'm going to make about this much money. I'm going to get this fat. I'm going to have these kids. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to live and I'm just going to live and die. It's like, and I, I could see it because it's like you could see everybody and that like they're all doing the same thing and they want in their own way, but they're all doing the same thing. And I was like, I don't want to know how my story ends. And so I was like, I'm going to go to a big city. I tried out Austin. I tried out and I was like trying to have all these hot cities because I'm not going to ever deal with snow again after growing up in Michigan. I feel you on that. And so for me, I just made it. I was like, you know what, L.A. So then I just drove out, packed up what I could what I could fit in my car, gave away everything else, drove out to L.A. Um, didn't know anybody, ended up working at a black box theater play um, because I came out to L.A. with the attitude of happily helping anybody that I can for free and kicking ass for them um, until I'm going to get discovered. That was my that was the strategy. Like, I'm going to kick ass for everybody that needs it. And uh, ended up working with this woman named Audra Bryant um, yeah. on her small black box theater play. And she gave me an opportunity to be the stage manager, which I thought meant just keeping the props and the actors where they're supposed to be. I didn't realize that's, I had never been to a play or been behind backstage. Uh -huh. I was running the whole thing, but you know, the director was really patient with me. He taught me everything. We didn't miss a single cue the entire play. I was running all the sound cues, all the lighting cues. I was running the ushers. Everything was happening and went great. And at the end of the play, a woman came up to me. was like, I'd like to take you to lunch. Um, and I was like, are you paying? She's like, yes. And I was like, I'm hungry. I'm all in. I'm there. I like, yeah, I was broke. Um, ended up being a job interview. Um, wow. And, you know, she asked me all these questions about it. And at the end of the interview, she was just like, yo, you're hired. I was like, for what? She's like, the X factor. And I was like, what is that? You know, and she was just like, oh, just show up to this address on Monday. I was like, okay. Um, and if you know, you know, the X Factor's yeah. biggest network shows there has been in recent memory. Yeah. Singing competition show. Got on there working in casting. No, excuse me. I started off working in outreach to get people to cat through casting. It was only supposed to be eight week job. I, the producers love me so much. They just moved me over to casting. They love me so much after that. They moved me over to being in this, in the field, doing live transcribing for the rest of the whole season. So I ended up working for that show for a whole year. 
And I was like, this is cool. I like this industry. These people are really dope. But then the job ended because the show ended. And I was just like, oh, I, I'm from Detroit. I'm like, excuse me, from Michigan, I should say. <laughs> um, now I'm just saying, when you talk to somebody who's from Detroit, I can't say yeah. something, you know what I'm saying? Um, but I was like, I'm from Michigan and you get a career. You don't get a job. You don't get a gig. So I thought I was going to work for them for as long as I was going to work for them. The job just ended. Um, and one of the producers hit me and was like, yo, I got this producer job that I'm not going to take. It's, it's pretty much beneath me, but it's perfect for you. Tell them that you've been a producer. I told them that you worked with me for years. Just do the job and shut up. And I was just like, I'm, but I don't want to lie. Like, shut up and do what I say. And I was like, okay. So I told him and I ended up working on the show for the Travel Channel. Okay. Um, and working with small crews, traveling around the country, shooting all these different shows. Um, it was hell. It was terrible. And I got heavily underpaid. Um, the things that they're talking about now when it comes to like striking um, and like, you know, crews and PAs and, you know, talent, like people getting like overworked, underpaid. I mm -hmm. was a poster child for that. I was working 90 hours a week and getting paid $800 a week for that. Yeah. But I didn't know any better. You know what I'm saying? So I was just doing it, but I learned everything I needed to. And I met everybody that I needed to. Mm -hmm. And one of the people who I met is a guy named Tony Valentino. He was an assistant camera operator on that project. We ended up becoming like almost best friends on that shoot um, and started our business together. Bam, Transit Pictures. Um, we started that and we started getting like, we immediately took a huge risk, got a small investment, went out overseas um, to shoot a Anthony Bourdain-like show, but it was about uh, music instead of food. So exploring the culture of music. So we took a Grammy-winning singer-songwriter to Cambodia and we spent a whole month filming an entire pilot for this show. We came back, we cut a trailer, super dope. It's still on our website, transitpictures.com. It's such a good trailer. And the show is actually on the Kevin State Studios app now. Um, We're gonna get to that. Yeah, so we'll get to that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's how it all got started. That's how I started my production company. And that was like, we started the company in 2015. That's dope. And what, and, and that's one of the things what I was talking about when I was introducing you is because yeah. Being I'm being talent as I am, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm talent. One of the things that I always preached as long as I've been doing comedy, because I started in 2006 and still going at it. And I'm going to be doing stand up until I can't breathe anymore. Right. But one of the things that I have learned in this long time I've been in it is that. Uh, everybody cannot be the star. And that's a hard reality for a lot of people to swallow. Right. And I tell them because I, and I say that because a lot of the successful people that you see that you see, um, especially as talent, they have a team around them. And we could take like a Kevin Hart, for example. He got a team of comedians around him that are eating great. <laughs> They're eating lovely. Yeah. And what happens is, is what I see a lot is, is that everybody wants to start them, but don't understand that if you do things behind the scenes even if you're not getting paid for it sometimes right if you just put the if we can be able to come together and put some work in we can be able to create something that's going to be able to be sustainable for the future and that's one and that's what the next level i'm about to get at with you is is that so into after 2015 where did the relationship with you and kevin on stage start my relationship with Kevin on stage didn't start until probably until 2020. Wow. Honest. Yeah, yeah. So like Transit Pictures existed as an like as our own production company doing a completely different project that have nothing to do with the stuff you've seen. Um, 
for five years before we even, I didn't even know, when I first met Kev on stage, I didn't even know who he was. You know what I'm saying? To be fully honest, I had no idea who he was. Um, the way it happened is like, so we started Transit Pictures and we started getting our own clients as a production company, like a okay. pretty much boutique production company in LA. We started working heavy in like docu projects for like the Sierra Club or Bloomberg and doing like environmental stuff. That's what we were known for. We won awards for that by doing like docu projects for environmental places. But at the same time, we're also doing commercial work for places all over the world, like the Bahamas and the Philippines. Like we're filming okay. commercials for these resorts, which is the greatest job ever. Um, but we were doing that. And, you know, also all these other side gigs of just like, just these random things that we would get because of our relationships. And people saw the quality that we brought to the table. That's that project that I was telling you about in Cambodia, we came back, we cut that sizzle and we were, thought we were gonna sell it. We didn't know nothing about distribution, like literally nothing. <laughs> Thought we were going to sell it. The sizzle is objectively amazing. We still have it on our website. It still is dope. But we didn't realize that how crazy distribution is. It's a whole different industry in itself. Mm -hmm. What we did find out is that people were like, yo, this is really dope. You guys did this? Cool, cool, cool. Thanks for showing me. But can you guys do this? And that's how we ended up getting clients because they saw the work that we had done. And they were like, yo, like that's crazy dope. I don't need that, but I need this. Can you do that? And we were like, we can do anything. You know, wow. yeah. and so we started doing other projects for other people. And so we were doing that. And like, while we had these big clients that took us all over the world, we got to travel the world, my brother. I've been to 30 wow. something um, with the clients that we had. And in between those clients, we knew we had like contracts that would last for a year, two years or something like that. And in between those clients, we'd be gone for five weeks and we home for two weeks, gone for three weeks, home for two weeks. And in those times that we were home, we were, we owned our own gear. And so we were like, well, we might as well be doing something while we're here. And Tony Valentino, my partner, was obsessed with comedy. Mm -hmm. And the comedian that he thought was next was Tony Baker. Okay. And so he, his uh, fiance painted a picture of Tony Baker. Her name is mm -hmm. Maya, Maya Osborne. She painted a picture of Tony Baker and presented to him after one of his comedy shows and said, would you be in one of our skits? And Tony Baker was like, this is awesome. Also, you did not have to paint a picture for me to be in a skit. I'll definitely. <laughs> this was when Tony Baker had like 15,000 followers. Yeah. This is back in the day, you know what I'm saying? This is before this was before Tony, but this is when his this is when his gap was still prevalent. You know what I'm saying? So we yeah, yeah, I said it. Um, but yeah, so we started like shooting that kind of stuff with him. I started a YouTube channel about drones because I was a drone pilot during the time mm -hmm. of drones were coming up. That blew up. We learned a lot about YouTube and we were like, all right, the demographic for this YouTube channel is really small. It's it's great, but there's only so many people that are gonna be interested in camera drone shit but everybody's interested in comedy. Maybe we should talk to Tony Baker, our new friend about, hey man, we can work on your YouTube channel and blow it up for you and get it bigger because we can, we figure out how to make money with it. And Tony Baker was like, say less. So we worked out a deal with him. We started making content on his YouTube channel. It blew up as did the rest of his social media things. Right. And as the stars started to rise, we were like, bro, you have enough material to do a comedy special. We shot his first comedy special. That was our first comedy special, um, Scaredy Cat. It's fantastic. If you haven't seen it, check it out. But we shot that and I was like, oh, that's dope. And then starting to make all this content for Tony Baker, he starts bringing in his friends. That's how we met to hear more. That's how we yeah. ended up being introduced to Kev on stage. You know, like all these comedians would come in and film this stuff because we had a small studio in Glendale that we pretty much had a YouTube studio. We were filming stuff for all these people on the side. Like we weren't really making money with it, but we were doing it on the side because we loved it. Right. Um, do what you love. Like no matter what it is that you do to make money, do what you love because eventually it might end up being the thing that makes you money. Um, and so, oh, that's hold on. That, don't don't go. Can't go past that. That was a dope ass quote. It's the truth, man. Like, especially in a place like L.A., do what you love. 
Because even if it's not making you money now, if you become really good at anything, somebody's going to pay you for it. And so you can eventually make money off of what you love. Like, that's just what happened. And so we were chugging along, doing our thing, still making stuff. We started, we did a deal with Tahir. We got his, I started working on his YouTube channel. We worked on creating that show, Wording is Hard with him. Mm -hmm. So now, again, all this happened before we met Kevin on stage. You know, like I had been introduced to him, but never like literally was just like, oh, it's nice to meet you. I had to talk with him, chopped it up with him for like an hour on some just like black man shit. And he, right. I, was like, I was like, that brother's intelligent. Like, I was like, that dude, <laughs> I was like, that brother's intelligent. Like, he seems like a good businessman and just a good dude. But there was no, there was no synergy. Like, I didn't, you know, I didn't really know. I didn't know his following. I just talked okay. to some random dude named Kevin that got introduced to me. You know what I'm okay. saying? I didn't know anything about who he was. And so that happened. And then the pandemic hits. We lost all of our clients overnight as Transit Pictures. All of them. Because we work in the field in production. How like the in every um I want to say every single one of every single one of our clients had a a force majeure clause in the contract, aka an act of God clause, which means that the contract doesn't have to be done or executed or finished. They don't have to pay us. Right. If an act of God occurs, and that's what happened. COVID hit. All of our contracts got like we lost over half a million dollars in contracts in a day, and then we shut down. And so we were like, what are we gonna do? We don't have a way of making money anymore. We don't have a way of paying our bills. We don't, what are we going to do? And so we were on the struggle bus for a little while. And um, uh, there was another comedian uh, who I will not name, mm -hmm. uh, a random white dude comedian who did a live virtual comedy show with a, with a small live audience. And he made like 30, 30 racks off of it in one night. And we were like, and the only reason we knew about it is because one of the producers that I worked with was the producer that he hired to come and produce it. And he hired my business partner, Tony Valentino, to, mm -hmm. uh, to come and be a camera operator for it. So okay. did, and then Randy and Tony came back to me and said, yo, can we do this with any of the comedians we work with? And I was like, interesting. The person who I know who has the following that can make this happen, at this point, Tony Baker had over a million followers, right? Mm -hmm. I was like, Tony Baker. So I hit up Tony Baker. It was like, yo, man, can you do this? And he was just like, nigga, I do not do virtual comedy. And I was like, damn it. <laughs> I, got, I was like, that sucks. So then I called to here because here was at this point, we already had been wording his heart already launched. It was already successful. Things were going good. Right. Now. And um, I was like to here. And I know to here didn't have the following at the time to be able to make this worthwhile financially. Um, and I just told him the idea. I was like, is, am I crazy? Is this just a bad idea or what? He was like, let me think about it. He hung up the phone, picked, picked it back up and called Kev on stage. I was like, Kev, you need to call this nigga Brennan. He has something that you need to hear. And so he told him what it was. And then Kev called me and I didn't even have his number. I didn't have Kev's number. Kev called me mad. Like Kev was just like, nigga, why didn't you call me with this? This is a great idea. I was like, who is this? You know, <laughs> I like, Kev, you know, I was like, oh, Kev wants that. What up, man? And he's like, well, what are you thinking? How can this work? And I explained it to him. Um, we had logistical, but we figured it out. We figured out all the logistics. We were going to do it in the parking lot behind our studio, the YouTube studio. We painted the whole back wall. Yeah, I've been there. So yeah. 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 Yeah, so we painted that whole back wall for your listeners. We painted yeah. this whole back wall. It was literally nothing but a parking lot. Painted the back wall, built a stage, lit the stage, and said, this is it. We're going to live stream a comedy show from here. We're going to bring an audience that will sit outside and separate it. But we're going to give the, the comedian, because we realized the big thing comedians need is a physical audience in front of them. That's mm -hmm. why other virtual shows weren't working is because they're not getting the feedback that they needed to be yep. able to doing that. But also at the same time, we need to be able to get it to a bigger audience to be able to make it profitable and make it worthwhile of shooting a comedy special level show. And so we were like, all right, cool. Kevin on stage can bring that audience. 
And yes, he could. Um, and mm -hmm. the point, so that long story short, that is how Keep Your Distance was born. Okay. Um, we did it and it was immediately successful, like immediately. Um, yeah, I, I remember when it started. I was like, what is this? And that's how it came, <laughs> and that's the story of how Keep Your Distance came to be. Wow. And, that, and that is what led us to, led me to having a relationship with Kevin on stage. Uh, and reason, it's so funny that you said that the relationship started with Tony because I've seen you and Kev interact before and it seemed like y'all know y'all knew each other for a long time. Kev is a good dude, man. Like yeah. I think Kev and I, like, I don't know. It's like we, I, he feels like a, a cousin or something of mine. It's just like the way that we interact and the way that we work and all that. There's just so much mutual respect and also so mm -hmm. much, petty, so much pettiness between us that, you know, like, it's just like, we just talk shit. And so it looks like we've known each other forever, but yeah, yeah. I've actually, you know, two years, not even two years. Have I known him this, at this point? It's crazy. That's right. It was when I went to the the Keep Your Distance show. I mm -hmm. went. It was during April. It was like an April show. It was when Keisha E, uh, Takara, Just Niche, and I can't remember who else was on the show because them was my the three funniest people for me right. <laughs> on the show that night. So they're mm -hmm. the ones that stand out to me. Uh -huh. But. Um, when I went to it, I was just like, because this was still like heart of the pandemic when this right. was going on. And I was just like, man, this shit is amazing. Is and, and this was like the start of what I'm seeing around uh LA and also other cities too, is the how can I put it? Is like the new form of comedy shows mm -hmm. because going to the traditional club is is still in of course but you're starting to see people do alternative different ways to produce their shows mm -hmm. like i have a guy that's come that um i recorded with this comedian named joel lou he's starting to do comedy shows he does a comedy show out of a barbershop <laughs> that's dope in hollywood right but and it's one of the dopest shows the way that it's set up the the, the lighting and everything is dope as hell so y'all are pioneers in that space of creating alternative ways to do comedy shows. Cause I tell you this, I did one virtual show, one virtual comedy show. And I mm -hmm. felt like shit because I'm sitting here talking, but at the same time, people having their, their screens on mute. Yeah. I can't tell if, if I'm, if I'm being funny or not to them. <laughs> Cause I'm no like zero reaction. Yeah. So yeah. So the virtual thing was, was terrible for me, but the idea of connecting the virtual with the real life audience was genius. Thanks, man. I mean, like I said, that was that was the reason why Tony Baker didn't want to do it. You know, he was just like he imagined that experience that he, he had had it, you know, because there was a couple different shows that didn't last very long, as you probably mm -hmm. remember, that when it came on during the pandemic with like a bunch of screens where you can see them. But then there's still a delay. Like you can't have a delay as a comedian like nope. in the laps like that delay kills you because then you get self-conscious immediately. You know, it's like, I said this junk, and then it's like, ha, ha, you're like, you're like and then it's like, no laughing. Okay, well, let me just, then you pivot as a comedian. If what if you think something's going to hit and it doesn't hit, you have to pivot. But if it, if it did hit and then you pivot, then you mess up. You know what I'm saying? Like you're in the wrong, you're not, you're not into the flow of it. And so there's a, there's an art and a flow to stand up comedy that I now respect on a high level, considering all the comedy, all the comedy I've seen at this point. Um, and so, yeah, I get it. Like you got to have that you know, audience interaction. And you're right. That is definitely what made it different. Yeah. So what else I want to ask you is being 
uh, at a level where you have a successful, you know, a production company and you're really, you know, doing, like you said, a lot of projects over the years. What is your avenue to be able to search out different projects from people that you don't have, that you might not have, like someone that doesn't have like a true relationship with you where they can just pick up the phone or just reach out to you? Mm-hmm. How can like people be able to, you know, um, how are you able to be able to see new projects that you might be able to want to work on or people want to send to you? That's the best way I think I could put it. That's a good question. Um, I don't really have a system set up for that. Like real talk, you got to know me. <laughs> like that's really how it is. Mm-hmm. And I mean, but it's like, because like a lot of people don't realize how difficult it is to be able to work with someone that you don't know. Yes. Um, not only how difficult it is to work, all the legal aspects that go along with it. Um, there's so many legal aspects that go along with not only just even taking a pitch, even just listening to somebody's idea, because I have a, I, because I'm an owner and the president of a studio now and have a distribution company. It's mm-hmm. like I can't just be like, yeah, let me hear your idea. It's like, nah, like I, because then it's like, yo, well, they stole my idea. They did this or whatever. And like I've learned to respect people who actually do things now, um, because everybody has ideas. That's not for me. Mm-hmm. That's not the magic. That's not the magic at all. The magic is the ability to do it. Like. You could be like, oh, that you stole my ideas. Like, well, you know, you didn't do it, you know. And I've never stole anybody's deal. No one's ever like actually accused me of that. First and foremost, I've gone out of my way to do it. <laughs> but my point being is like, like doing something is a big deal. And a lot of people like get in their own head and get in their own way about what it takes to do something. It's like for me, I'm just like, nigga, you got an iPhone. Like that means you have a high quality camera and like and microphone in your hand right now, and you're coming to me saying that I got to put all my time, energy, and money into your idea that you haven't even tested. Mm-hmm. You have the ability to do that. Show me what you show me how far you can take this. And I'll, and I will let you know if it's worth me taking it to where it can go with me. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Cause I'm also not the top of the hill. Like I can't take it up to like, I can't take this over to Fox sports or, you know, or like what, what are these giant studios and universal. Yeah. yeah. Universal. I can't do that. Like we are a black owned middle level, you know, I'd say lower level startup. You know, so it's like our budgets and all that kind of stuff is like, yo, we just get shit done. You know, it's like, yeah, we're not doing iPhones and stuff, but we own our own gear. But that came from transit. That didn't even come from the app. You know what I'm saying? So for us, it's like we respect people who actually go out and do it. And then for us, we're like, okay, cool. So like a lot of times I'll see something online or see somebody's project and see that they've already done it. And like, man, like I could make this better. You know what I'm saying? Like I could bring quality to this. I could bring this to that. I could make their sound is terrible, but the idea is great. I can hear it enough to understand this is great. I need to give them a sound mixer. I need to give them an actual stage. I need to get them real cameras. And this is going to, this is a home run. But in all honesty, the vast, I'd say 80% of the projects that I've worked in have been internal. You know, 80% of our projects have been internal because we're still so new. You know, it's like with, as transit pitchers, like we are a a gun for hire pretty much a freelance company, not a freelance person. Right. So people, like, they got my attention by saying, here's some money. You know, that's, that's, that's how you want to know, Brennan, how do you get your attention? Money. Money gets my attention. Like, I can afford to be able to have you do this. And I'm like, well, guess what? I can do this. Um, and you'll own it. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. But on the other side of it, if you have an idea that you, you can't afford to, like, you know, work with me or whatever, then it's like, all right, well, that means I need to invest in it. You know, that means I have to put my energy, my time, my money, my gear, my, my team, I have to get them to believe in this enough to be able to do it. So why would I, why would I do that? If you can answer that question, honestly, authentically, and prove to me that this is going to be something that brings value to what we do, then we have something to talk about. 
And that's just not an easy, that's not an easy thing to do, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's the best answer I ever heard from for, for that for that question. Because you get a lot of people that I meet that I'm I'm around every day that's, you know, man, I'm just trying to get this person to work with me, this and this, but it's like you have to build the relationships with people. And yeah. I'm telling people, you know, um, that, and I struggled with this in the beginning because I didn't understand it at first, is that building a relationship with a person doesn't mean you have to be the bestest friends. You know, it don't mean that y'all have to go to the movies together, go to uh, go on vacation and everything. Building a relationship could just be simple it's just by just supporting what the person does on a consistent basis. Um, if you, you're doing a great job right now, yeah, can, yeah. you, well, I'm saying like, let me give you some flowers right now is that what you did right now is really intelligent. Cause you're just like, look, I'm a comedian. This dude over here works with these comedians. Also, I have this project. I have a podcast I'm doing, I'm producing, I'm making it happen. And I've worked with a lot of people that you work with. They've been on my podcast. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Here's some examples. You met me. You got my contact information and you reached out. I was like, no, you told me like, hey, I want you to be on my podcast. Mm-hmm. You know how many people say shit like that and don't follow up? You know what I'm saying? Honest. You're like, no, I want you to be on my podcast. But you, you have to realize it's like, there's a lot of things you're doing in that. Like, mm-hmm. like what you did, even when you started this conversation, you were just like, let me feed this brother's ego. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you got, I'm just saying, I'm a, one thing you learn about me is I'm always as tra- transparent to the core of whatever I can be as possible. And so mm-hmm. for me, it was like, you, you fed my ego. You were just like, yo, you're great. I see what you're doing. This is fantastic. You're amazing. Let me give you some flowers as well as let me give you a platform to talk about things you don't normally get to talk about. Mm-hmm. You know, what I'm saying? you don't talk about your, your origin story. You don't talk about that because you're the behind the camera guy. And so yep. for me, I'm just like, somebody cares. That's crazy. I mm-hmm. love to talk about it. And you're like, yeah, relationships are important. I'm like, well, what better way to build a relationship than to build somebody else's ego in a way of saying, let me give you some flowers. And now you know me, you mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? So this is a strategy that works, you know, like (laughs) you got my number now, we have rapport rapport now. And so now if you hit me up and say, hey, man, can you watch this or look at this? I'm much more likely to do that than some random dude I met at some random show whose number I didn't save in my phone. Right. So just want to give you the flowers. You're doing it right. Thank you. you. And I tell you this is that once like people will start talking, like people will start talking to me about you. About me? Yeah, about you. And oh God, okay. And shout out to the one person that always talks about you is BT. I love BT. BT I was at the show last night. Yeah. yeah. BT Kingsley, man. Shout out to my guy. Happy birthday. Everything, man. But this dude, man, uh, he talks about you all the time. And, you know, it's something that I got to talk to you when we get done recording about also. That he told me that he said, man, you need to talk to Brendan about it. <laughs> that was exactly what he told me. Exact words. We, wow. were, we were at the comedy store. And I, we was chopping it up. He said, man, talk to Brennan. And I'm like, I, I was like, hey, I said, yeah, I actually got, my mind is blown that people I, even talk about me. That's and I, it was so funny because I said, I actually got him coming on the podcast soon. So we will we, we will chop it up. But what I what I and this is go back to what I was talking about earlier is that um, knowing that everybody can't be the star. I love stand up, but my passion is producing and writing. And I'm trying to put myself in a position to where I can be able to get into that full time. That's what I want to do. I want to be, I like to, I like the content, the uh, content create. And so 
once people was like, man, Brendan this, Brendan that, and I'm like, man, this is somebody I need to get to know and, you know, saying, and, and be able to, to, uh, to get his knowledge, to be able to understand what I need to do and get in better position in my career. Right. So, yeah, man, people talk about you. Just, just I, know that. You teaching me some shit right now. Like I, this. I had no idea. I'm just like, oh, people will be bringing me up. Hell yeah. I bring them up all the time. Like, these niggas are hilarious, you know? BT is wild. Like, I don't know if you saw his Keep Your Distance sets, bro. I mean, I knew oh, I yeah. my man is a master on that stage, bro. Um, oh, yeah. He's a master. He's hilarious. But so let's get into the let's get into the app, man. Okay. Uh, let's get into the app. Like, where, of course, that was going to be. I, I felt like that was always, when you're a production company, that's always, you know, especially now, that's kind of like, the new that's like one of the new things to do to be able to step into that lane but it's not also a thing that's easy you know saying also especially when you don't have when some of these companies don't have the finances to do it so what process was it and what was the and who idea was it first to come up with the app the, the kev on stage studio app so when i met kev he actually already owned the app okay. um, he had already like bought it but he didn't have a plan for it like his brother had like found like a connection with a, with a distribution company, a company that could do it mm -hmm. um, and build the infrastructure. And it's just like, all right. And Kev was like, all right, well, I got all this content. But most of his content was like podcasts. You know, he had a couple projects that he had produced separately, like his uh, documentary, a couple movies and stuff. But he didn't have, he didn't have anything that he hadn't put out yet. Right. You know, all the stuff he had to fill the app with was stuff that was already available to his Patreon, already available on his YouTube. So he's just like, look, I got all this content to put on here as placeholders, but I need to be able to make something worthwhile. Um, on this app and he didn't know what to do because he's like the people that I've worked with in production aren't on the level that I need so he didn't know the people mm -hmm. to do that and then I happened to be like hey he called me around that time was like yo like, what's up with this keep your distance thing and let me tell you one more quick story about keep your distance that gives you the context of how the app really happened okay and Kev's experience with production was really interesting um, and it, it was epitomized in how he treated us when we first started working with him when I told him we were going to do this, I was like, yo, your call time is, let's say, I think the show started at seven. I was like, your call time is 530. He's like, all right, cool. This Negro showed up at like two. Um, he showed up at like two o'clock because the thing is, Kev put his name behind this. You know what I'm saying? Right. He already promoted, he didn't know what was going to happen. He put his name behind it, whatever. And so he showed up and he was just like, all right. I remember what he asked me. He's like, okay, man. So what, what's the problems? What's going on? What are we going to fix? And I was just like, Prob problems? He's like, what do you mean? I was like, I was like there's, there's no problems, but I'll show you what we got. He's like, yeah, show me. And so I walked him outside and I was like, look, this is where we're going to shoot. There's all the lights. We did this for this whole week. We've been out here watching where the sun sets, watching the lighting when the sun sets with our cameras to make sure that we're actually going to be changing our iris and our exposure to be able to match what was going to what's going to happen during the time of the show, because this was happening during the summer and the sun was setting late. And we wanted to make sure while we live stream this, that we kept the people on the East Coast awake. You know what I'm saying? We want to catch them before they go to bed. So we still got to have the sun up on the West Coast where we are. And so we figure out like, well, let's make sure that the, the show is going to start off in sunlight and it's going to end in darkness. And we want everything to be correctly exposed all the way through. So we, me and my business partner, Tony, we went out there every day that week and we figured it all out and put together a chart for all of our camera operators and said, this is the exposure at the specific time that you need to be at. And we called them out over the radio. We had that built. We had the camera tent built. We had the streaming tent built. We had already done the streaming tests. You know, we had the audience, uh, audience people already out there. We had everybody's names on the list. We already had the COVID testing people there. Like mm -hmm. everything was already done. And I just walked around and I remember uh, he like afterwards, he went and just sat out by himself. And I remember he was sitting on a chair in one of the chairs in the audience. He just like looked up and just like, just like just staring up in the sky by himself. I was like, what is he doing? 
But it came to realize like after about three or four of the keeper distances, he had made the choice. He's like, these are the guys. This I need them to be able to make the content for the app. They know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. They know production. They know how to make things good. You know, because Keep Your Distance opened up in the first show. Everybody was blown. Their faces were blown off. They're like, this is a live streamed comedy special. That's mm-hmm. what it looks like. That's what it sounds like. That's what it feels like. They couldn't believe it. Nobody had done it, you know, like. And so that happened. And so Kev came to us and was like, yo, like, I want you guys to, to work with me on this app. And our response was, we don't just work for people. We own things. So let's talk about ownership. And Kev was like, okay. And so now I'm one of the founders and co-founders and owners of Kevin Stage Studios. And that's how Transit Pictures became the production arm of Kevin Stage Studios that allows all of it to happen. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's crazy, bro. That's, and, and how, let me ask you, how many times or has it been a time yet that you just sat back and thought about when you came to LA to where you're at right now? Almost never. Like all I, I, a gift and a curse is that my brain is always in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not, a, I'm, I'm one of my things that I'm working on getting better at is being reflective. Mm-hmm. I don't really, I don't look back. I always look forward. I'm in the moment or I'm in the next one. Um, that's just how my brain works. And so for me, when you're like, how often do you sit and reflect with what you, how far you've come? Like, I don't do that. Like I am thinking about what we're doing next. I'm thinking about who do we connect? How do we put these people? How do we? How do I put everyone around me in the best position to win? That's what my brain is always thinking on. Either how to put us all in a position to win, or how to put us in a position to enjoy whatever's going on in this moment. Like those are the two modes I really have. <laughs> you know, so um, I, you know, there have been experiences where questions like that happen, or people when I start talking to people and they realize the story, then they will help me do it. Like mm-hmm. right now, right now it's happening. Like I'm like, oh shit, it has been a while. You know, I've been here for ten years, and it's like I was homeless, sleeping in my car you know, couch surfing 10 years ago. And now, you know, I was, you know, the studio, the studio in the Valley that, you know, is, is known in the app, uh, working with some of the biggest, you know, the biggest comedians in LA. Mm-hmm. So it's a big deal. It's a big change. Um, but for me, it doesn't feel like when you're in it every day, it doesn't feel like you've accomplished anything. It just feels like you have the next fire to put out or the next thing to build. And, you know, it's like, until we get to a space, until we get to a space where it's just like, my kids' kids are going to be taken care of. I don't feel like there's any space to sit back and be like, let me celebrate, which is a problem, by the way. Mm-hmm. That's, one of the prob- that's one of the problems we have yeah. in Transit Pictures, actually, is like, we've never had a rap party before. <laughs> never. The, the, some people are like, yo, I shot a 12-minute thing, you know, uh, let me giant rap party. And like, well, for us, we're just like, all right, we finished that. What's next? You know, that's kind of like what we do. Like, okay, what's next? Mm-hmm. What's next? You know, so we're, look- we're doing our best to like slow down and smell the flowers. But it's really hard to do that when there's- You feel so, like you've got so much more to do. When you're standing in a meadow, like you can smell them standing up. You don't need to bend down. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's kind of where we are. It's just like, I'm standing in a meadow, bro. Like, I, I can smell them. It's fine. Keep moving. Just keep moving. Well, I think that the cel- I think that the celebrations that you might not have for yourself, the viewers have for you. When- any of your projects, people are talking about looking at and everything. That's a celebration. Mm-hmm. You know, the content, any, you know, saying because you can put content out there and nobody might not give a fuck. But if you put content out there and people are watching it, supporting it, man, that's a celebration right there. 
And uh, I t- let me ask you, so did you, did you do the production for uh, uh, Forgive Me Five? No. Okay, cool. That was Mark Watson, who we do work with, and he directed some of our content. He's amazing. Um, but I did not do the production for Gimme Five. But I did. We did. We consulted them. So okay. they, after the first, they did the first season without us. Yeah. Um, did their own thing. So the second season of Gimme Five, that's on Kevin Safe Studios app right now. Mm-hmm. Um, Mark and BT came to us and said, "Hey, we want to put this on the app. How can we do that?" And my response to that was, uh, "You need to change certain things about the production." Mm-hmm. things that you can do that add a lot of value to this and they did it so we're like, all right cool we're going now. well there's one thing i guess y'all didn't talk about i love give me five and yeah. i tell you this and, I, and bt knows this because we already talked about it is an issue with me not being on season two but we <laughs> but that, they I, don't say do i didn't know you i ain't know they you did. don't put me on that yeah. they got nothing to do with you but they got to do with him but yep. we already talked about that but <laughs> are you gonna do the live? Are you gonna be on the live taping? I'm not gonna be on the live taping, but I'm gonna be there to support. All right. But I'm gonna be there to support, but I'm not gonna be on the live taping. But uh for season three that he says that he's planning on doing, I should be on season three. All right. It's just funny because all me and B2 BT do is argue about top yeah. five shit. Yeah. And so it was funny for me not to be on it when I'm one of the number one people who arguing with them. But I mean, it sounds like it should be on site when you see him. <laughs> but we already talked about it, though. Yeah. Yeah, but that's my dude, though. But one of the issues, like I told him, though, why do you keep having these random people in the background of why you film it? That, I can, I can actually speak to that. But I think, I'm, honestly, that's a question for BT to answer, what I'm saying. <laughs> and- I have brought that up before. It's a, it is a political thing, is what I would say. It's a political thing, and I have nothing to do with it. <laughs> yeah, that's and I'm, and I'm glad you did because I told I said, dog, first season, I said it was it was horrible. This season, it wasn't as bad as the first season, but I just said, hey man, you can't have all these just random people in the background because it, it takes attention off yeah. off of, off of what you're I supposed told, to be looking I, at. I I agree. I agree. <laughs> that's what I'll say. So, you, uh, like you said, this season was much less, as you saw. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, man. Um, and that's how can I put this? Production is the whole background of all this inter- entertainment stuff. You're not in the spotlight. You know, saying that you're not in the spotlight at all. You know, you the you the uh, you know the hands on. You're doing all the the dirty work. You're doing all that stuff. That's what, how can I put it? That's where I try to drive people, you know, younger people, when they ask me about the entertainment business, you know, I try to drive them like, man, you need to be behind the scenes. You need to know, you need to start learning about this person, that person. The on-talent stuff is cool, but you don't understand that the people that really make a lot, the real money Mm -hmm. are behind that camera. Yeah, I say, (laughs) I'll say this is, no, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't actually agree with that. I say you those. You don't? No, I don't agree. Because um, the only reason I, I say that is because a lot of the ones that I, a lot of the people that I know, you know, of course you have your, your superstars, but a lot of the people that I know that are consistently making money and that are talent too, they make more of their money behind the scenes than they do actually on screen. I think you can make examples of both on either side. Because I mean, mm-hmm. 
I've worked with talent that show up to a set and get paid like a hundred stacks for 45 minutes. Oh yeah. You know what I'm saying? And then they just leave. And the people on the behind the camera have been there for 13 hours. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And they'll make eight hundred. Yeah. They'll make eight hundred dollars for the day. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So it's like it, it's just a perspective. You know, it's like the people who really make the most are the people that own shit. You know, it's like you know. And number two will be the yeah. talent, for the most part. So the people who either own it, that means you can afford to do it, um, or you are the talent. That's number two. They get. They should. If they have good representation or like negotiate the right way, you don't have anything without the right talent. And so like they get paid quite well. And then number three, after that, it's like there's the above the line and below the line. But I will say that the advice that I would give that would switch it a little bit isn't like these people okay. make more money. I would say that the people behind the camera make more consistent money is what I would say. It's different. You yeah. might not make more money today, but more people need a camera operator than they need a comedian because I can shoot a commercial. I can shoot a movie. I can shoot all these different things you know, and still do this, be the same person. Whereas you are as talent, you're normally locked into whatever your typecast is and what that thing is that you do. And if you're only as good as long as people need that thing, you know, whereas people are always going to need camera operators, they're always going to need gaffers, they're always going to need grips, they're always going to need sound mixers. So it's like the slow and steady race. There we go, man. So Brennan, what, up? what projects or what else do you have coming up that you would like to tell my listeners to look out for? Workplace comedy is one of the funniest things that has ever occurred. Um, it is on Kevin Stage Studios. The first six episodes are already on there. You can watch them yourself. We have crazy special guests like Atheon Crockett, Spice Adams. Um, it's a, it's our play on the uh, the office. It's like the office meets Curb Your Enthusiasm mm-hmm. um, is really what it is. And we're shooting tomorrow, actually, another episode. We have another half. We have the finishing off the first season. We're shooting the rest of it over the next month. Towards the end of this year is going to come out. Uh, Churchy. Our first scripted project is going to be coming out, I think, in October or November. Um, we have Black Heart Off Layaway with Keisha E. Um, yeah. her, her show, season two, is significantly different than season one. It's pretty much, we made the set of Black Sesame Street, even though Sesame Street is Black. Um, we did that and turned it into, like, some funny shit. We got a crazy, we, like, she learned how to roast from comedian CP. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, <laughs> you, so. you, know, you, know, you know how long I've known CP? How, well, I mean, he's from Detroit, so I assume quite some I time. didn't know CP from when I first met CP, uh, my homeboy, who I actually, you know, I open up for on the road when we go out, uh, Ron Taylor. I know Ron Taylor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, do you know Jeff Horse? I do not. Well, just another uh, comedian that's from Detroit that, that lives here in L.A. Both of them hit me up one day and was like, hey, man, we're going to this. T- uh, we're on the show. Uh, opening up for this guy named CP who's uh, filming his special. I'm like, I never heard of CP before. I say, okay. Downtown Detroit. I get to the venue. And this is like 2000. I want to say like 2009. Something mm-hmm. like that. And so we get down there. Man, place sold out. Place sold out. They're like, hey, man, yeah, that's CP right there. CP is walking around with two, six, eight security guards walking around the place. I said, man, who is this dude? Time for him to go onto the stage. Got two security guards walking him to the stage. And I'm looking like, dog, I don't, I never heard of this dude in my life. I know almost every comedian in Detroit. Mm-hmm. Who is this cat? And after the show, you know what I'm saying, we chopped it up and we've been cool ever since. He's insane. Uh, we actually, 
We have a podcast that we, we do CP's podcast with him. Yeah. CP is one of the funniest, most humblest guys on the face of this earth. And also the one of the most generous. He does yes. business. He does business right. Mm-hmm. Right now. Like he's I would always recommend working with CP. That brother knows what he's doing. He does a really good job. Yeah. That's my that's that's my guy right there, man. Mm-hmm. Me too. Love that man. Yeah. But go ahead. I, I, I'm interrupting. What was I gonna say? I don't remember. You said that you uh that you said you was working on something with with CP. Oh yeah, no, we CP's podcast. podcast. Yeah, we did one with uh, Lulu Gonzalez. Uh, CP and Lulu Gonzalez have a podcast together. Um, mm-hmm. We just we uh, we just started. Uh, there's so much shit. <laughs> like uh, we just did a comedy special for Clint Coley, so that's gonna be coming out pretty soon. Okay. Um, um, yeah, I think that's that's enough. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot right there. So that's the, those are some of the bigger projects we have coming out. Okay. And another uh, shameless plug on this. Shout out to Clint too. Clint was very inspirational in my podcast. Um, you know, I started doing series of spades. I did. I founded that with him, by the way. Oh, you did that? Okay. Yeah, I was a. I founded it with Clint, so I'm one of the owners of that too. That's dope. Yes. Yeah, I started doing a podcast because of Clint's podcast. That's awesome. Clint's amazing, man. Yeah, that, that was great. And so after having Clint uh, on my podcast and he seen what I was doing. He he um that started our friendship to where he eventually um allowed me to use his studio space at the time to record my podcast. And then eventually I grew into be able to start producing my podcast on my own. Cool. Yeah. That's amazing, bro. I'm I'm happy. It's beautiful to be able to work with people who are being inspired and who are inspiring. Um, so I'm happy that Clint was able to be that for you, man, because he's he's a special brother, man. I love that man. <laughs> yeah. So uh, what's the, what's your Instagram? My Instagram is uh, Brennan Produces, B-R-E-N-N-O-N Produces. All right. And hey, man, y'all know the, y'all know the Instagram, Brandon Jordan Comedy. At, you know, Brandon Jordan Comedy. Y'all know the website, BrandonJordanComedy.com. And that's just another episode. Glad to have this brother on. And uh, I'll holler at y'all later. Peace.